Hey, oh yeah, I'm so glad you're here. You know, over the past couple months, we've been doing this series called Can I Ask That? Um, and, uh, man, it's, uh, to me, I just, such a good series. I just really have loved going through this, and I've had some really good conversations uh, with many of you. Um, and I just think it's been touching a lot of people in, in uh, it just in some areas where we're looking at a lot of tough questions that, uh, that are leveled at God and His church. Um, a lot of questions that we struggle with, that some of us struggle with, maybe quietly. That's some of the things that we've been talking about, um, where we don't necessarily talk about it at church, or, or we're kind of afraid to address it, maybe, or just things that have been leveled at us, like, oh, you're a Christian, well, what about this? And, you know, there's been a lot of that stuff that we've been talking about. And I, I, I like how we've taken this. I like how um, the, the, the teaching team and, and just the, um, as we've been really looking at this, how we were to address this, and we were talked about that a lot. And a big part of what, we, what we've been looking at is not just giving these quick, easy answers, because I think that's, that's easy. You know, we don't, we don't want to... We don't want bumper sticker theology. We don't want bumper sticker Christianity. We don't want to drive up fast food Christianity. That's not what Jesus, what Jesus gave. That's not what Jesus gives. Um, we want something deep. We want something that not only looks at an answer, but also really says, what are we supposed to do? How do we respond? How do we respond to these questions in a way that, that first looks at ourself? Almost like when Jesus is talking to his disciples and he says, take the plank out of your own eye before you go for the speck in your brothers or sisters. And I think that's a part of what we have to do. That's humility, right? I think that's a cornerstone of what we've been looking at is, is as Christians, we, we need to be known for what we love, not, not what we're against. That's too common. That's one of the reasons why I love politics, but I hate politics. Anybody out there with me? I mean, we're going to hear it. We've been hearing it a lot, but, you know, you get up, oh, this side's so wrong, and look what they do, and look at this, and it's just constant negativity. And it's funny, because everyone says when they start politics, they say, well, we, we won't have a negative campaign. Really? I don't think I've ever seen one of those. I don't think I've ever seen where people haven't gone negative. Um, you know, and really just picked apart, and really gone after the quick answer, and not really looked at their own self in what we have to do. And what we talked about last week, uh, we don't want to respond by just throwing theological rocks at people, or rocks, or, I'm sorry, two weeks ago, or rocks of pride, or rocks of indifference, or rocks of anger. No, we want to respond with the love of Jesus. The, but this is the, this is the, the thing that I, I was countered with. As I was looking at this, love isn't easy. Apathy's easy. You go do what you want to do, just as long as it doesn't hurt me. You do whatever you want to do. That's easy. Don't bug me. I won't bug you. We'll live side by side. I don't really care. That's easy. But really loving somebody. I mean, parents get this when they've got kids, right? It's easy to love them when they clean their room and you don't ask them. Right? But anybody ever had that, I hate you? Or I'm so mad at you. I don't... Or like a toddler when they first bite you or spit on you? What have you done with my child? Right? I mean, it's like, it's hard to love them. It just is. See, love is not easy. See, if you really want to see how hard love is, we look at the cross. Because that's where ultimate love is displayed. Broken. Bleeding. For you and me. And so what we want to look at today 
is a simple, I think a simple answer, but also a deep answer to a very tough, tough question. Um, but before I get to that question, I, I had an opportunity. Actually, um, Rihanna and Jason, um, even Mark, uh, they came. Oh, by the way, your worship team did an amazing job on Tuesday when they came and played for all the... And it was really funny because they were playing um, some great songs, you know, songs that we hear, but it was like the old-timey stuff where, uh, um, gosh, some of the stuff that you guys played, I'm trying to think of the names and I'm drawing a blank, but all fly away and just some of them. And it was great because they're in the middle of it and there's all these like 80-somethings kind of walking through and they're stopping and they're like... And they start moving... You know, they're like the old missionaries and the old pastors, and they were like, oh, yeah, and they were grooving to it, and it was awesome. And I loved it, because they were like, hey, and they were identifying. And then they had a bunch of the old, um, or the, I'm sorry, the, 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 the young, uh, bearded, um, uh, 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 really indie cool people that were also sitting there going, yeah, yeah. So it was really neat to see, you know, the generations kind of mixing and having a fun time, and it was great. Um, sorry, that wasn't planned. I just thought it was really cool, and... Enjoyed it. Uh, but we got to go to this thing called General Counsel for the CMA. And, and uh, you know, it, there's parts of it that I was like, oh, I'm so bored. Like voting on nominees, committees and things that like I will never even understand what they do or care what they do. I know it's important, but I'm just being honest. Um, and sometimes we have to vote on those things. Like, sure, okay, here's our new vice president of, of the, okay, yeah, sure, yeah, sure. I don't even know who he is. I'll vote for you. Um, but... There's other parts of it that were really cool. And, and a big part of it is, in the CMA, we're very missionary-minded. Um, we have 2,100-something churches in America, but like just in the Philippines, we have 3,000 churches. So, and, and we got to actually have the president of the Philippines, uh, Philippine uh, CMA come out and talk to us and pray. And the really cool thing is, we got to experience on Sunday the head of the Syrian churches in the CMA in Syria. And I don't know if you guys have turned on the news in the last, like, six months, a year. Some crazy stuff going on, especially in Syria. And um, we had a pastor who came up, who was just a pastor just like me, just like Jason, but he's in Syria. And he was, he was talking, and he was saying, you know, love is really hard. <laughs> and everybody in the, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But then he started talking about what he had to do in one week. The last week that he, before he left to come out, he said, in one week, I had a church member, a lady, her son died in the conflict against ISIS because he was in the Syrian military. So his son just died. Second thing in that week is a, a family in the church had just got their rocket, a rocket came into their apartment and totally destroyed their whole level of the building and they lost everything. And, and then the third one, if that's not bad enough, so this is in the same week he's dealing with this. He, there's a, there's a, a, um, a family had an eight-year-old daughter who was playing at a school and a mortar shell came and, and, and exploded, killed a number of kids and this little girl in, in his church lost both of her feet. And he's like, this is tough. <laughs> because really when I look at it, he said, it's ISIS. That's all it is. It's ISIS. And he said, there's a, there's a church in this town. And he said the name of the town. I don't even know the name of the town. I couldn't repeat it. I, I, I. And he said, there's a really strong church there. 
In fact, he named a missionary who was one of the first missionaries in the CMA who came to Syria, and millions of Christians there, by the way, millions, because of this one man and his family that came and what Jesus did through them. He actually built this church. Church has been leveled. Church is no longer there. Why? ISIS came in and tore it apart brick by brick, burned it to the ground. Because the Christian church is the first thing they go to in any city they take over. And they usually take the women, kill the, kill the men. And there was this other church he was talking about who said, ISIS is right at their door. And that's a good church. There's hundreds of people there that love Jesus. And they're about ready to come in. See, love is hard, isn't it? And, and, and he said something that just really blew me away because I didn't even think of this. But he said, there's many families that are packing up their bags. And they're going. And we're actually getting a migration of Syrian people here and in, and in Europe. And they're going to these places. Why? Why not? I mean, ISIS is going to literally behead you if you live there and you're a Christian. Because he just told us about four teenage boys that were beheaded because they said we're Christians. And he said, but what's even crazier is there's Christians who are staying. They're staying. Because they want to show love to the people who are there and that can't leave. Now that blows me away. But to me, that's Christianity. And sometimes we're called to give an answer. But every time... We're called to live the life that Jesus wants us to live. And so, today, we want to look at some things that are very... This question is leveled against, and we can understand, because here you have ISIS, right? On one side, you have the Islamic State that says, we are following this law of what our God has said. And there's so much violence. And it's easy for people to say, yeah, violence is inherent in any religious system. I mean, look at the... look at look at. Christianity, look at the violence that's been perpetrated uh, or perpetuated throughout time and throughout history because of the God of the Bible. And our question today is actually pretty simple, is does God endorse violence? And it's easy to kind of say that when you, when you look at just religion in general. And, and, and sometimes, I, I don't know if you've been there like me, but I remember reading the Old Testament as a kid and I'm like, man... God was in a bad mood in the Old Testament, you know? I mean, maybe it's like, because it says a year, a, a year, a day is like a thousand years to the Lord. So maybe in the Old Testament, he's just waking up, you know, and he's grumpy. He didn't get good enough sleep or something. I don't know. You know what I mean? I was a kid. I'm thinking of this. I'm like, why is God so grumpy? And yet he's so loving in the New Testament. It's like, oh. And I. I have to remember, as I got older, I was like, oh no, it's the same God. And it's easy to kind of throw that out. So, one of the things I really want to look at today is, I want to answer that question, does God endorse violence? And I think there's three specific points I want to take you through that lead us to this take-home truth. And this is a simple truth that I believe, if we're going to look at, at violence in religious system, or violence in general, because again, it's not just a quick answer, we want to look at ourselves... What do we do? How do we respond? And this take-home truth is simple. It's again, we are called to step out of the shelter of judgment and love our enemies. So let's, let's stand very quickly as we read from Romans 12. By the way, there were so many passages. I really struggled with this one today. 
I mean, this whole week, I was fasting and praying and, man, I was reading books and just, oh, for weeks, actually. I was like, because some of these were easy to me. I was like, God just gave me the answer, but I don't like doing any sermon unless God says, do this. Because I don't want it to be me, you know? And I was like, Lord, there's so many passages here that I could use. But I just felt this passage spoke to what God, what God wants to say in this situation, all right? So let's look at Romans 12, 14 through 21. The Apostle Paul says this. He says, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. In fact, mourn with those that mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Don't be proud but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited or vain. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, for you, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. So do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Okay, you can be seated. Um, as I said, there's three points here that I would really like to make that are simple. And, and, and again, they might be simple, but they're not easy. Because the world we live in is tough. And every day you're challenged with this. So first and foremost, I'd like to say that that first point is simple to me, but it's also really tough, is only God has the right to stand in the place of judgment. Not me. Only God. We have a, we have a syndrome, a disease, and the Bible calls it sin, but really what it is is it's all about self. It's saying, I, I, I can take your place, God. We've got a lot of mini-gods running around. And, and it's so easy for us to think we can do God's job, but we really can't. There's only one God. And God doesn't have a problem with this. He knows he's God. We are the ones that we think we are, and then things don't work out, and we know we're not. But we have something inside of each and every one of us, because we're created in the judge's image, where we feel the right to judge. Because we know when something's wrong. Have you ever... Remember when you were a kid? I, I remember seeing this when I was a kid. There, Sally Struthers would come on and she would say, hey, look at these kids. And they would show all these kids in like Ethiopia and, and Africa and they had the swollen bell, bellies because of starvation. When I was a kid, I used to think, why? They, are they... They look like they're full. You know, I mean, I, I think I went to my, my mom or my dad and I was like, they're not hungry. Look at them. Their bellies are, are big. They're, they got a pot belly. They're eating. And, and they, they no, that's the actual, what happens when you get really hungry, your, your belly swells up with like gas and stuff. And so uh, it, it, I remember seeing that going, well, how is it that kids don't, I threw away my food all the time, unbeknownst to my mom, you know, she'd feed me something and I'd put it in the napkin and throw it away. And, Did you ever get that? Hey, don't do it. There's kids starving in Africa. You need to eat your food. And I'd be like, well, here's two bucks. Send it to them. But I just remember hearing about that going, man, that's just not right. As a kid, you know. And then as you grew up, you, I remember hearing stories about, well, we would send money, millions, in fact, billions of dollars to Africa, and it would get into the hands of corrupt government officials or warlords, and they would use it to buy weapons or, or new houses, and then people never saw the money. And then you're really going, what the heck? What is going on? 
Or like me last week when I hear the story of the four teenage boys who literally are just saying, you know, I'm sorry, I mean, you can be, you can be Muslim, I don't want to be Muslim. And they say, okay, we're going to kill you and they behead them. Teenage boys. There's something in us that says, that's not right. That's wrong. And we need to do something about it. Justice needs to be served. Your justice bone is tingling, basically. And, and the interesting thing is, we have a, a great story in the Bible. This is basically the story of Jonah. You know, I'll give you a little recap here. If you don't know about Jonah, Jonah was a prophet. Hey, hey, something like that, right? Isn't there a song? But Jonah was this prophet, and, and he was called to, to go to this place called Nineveh. And Nineveh was, was known for being these fish slappers. Sorry, I'm just bringing up. Veggie tales for some of those that are like uh, a little side joke. No, but that's that's the veggie tales way to kids to say they were really bad people. But we're talking really, really bad. The Ninevites. I mean, this would be equivalent. This would be equivalent to like, let's say Brian is like, I feel called by God to go to that city in Syria where ISIS is in control and preach repentance to them. This is the same as a Christian going into to ISIS and saying, you need Jesus. More than just endangering your life, it's also, I don't know if I actually want to go to those guys because they tick me off. Look what they're doing. And Jonah was ticked. He's like, no, God. Why do I want to pe- preach repentance? Why do I even want to give them a shot at, at coming to know you? And so he does something complete like what most of us do. He goes to Tarsus. Now, some of you are like, well, I've never been to Tarsus. No, the interesting thing, if you look at the map, you got Nineveh and you got Tarsus. It's literally 180 away. <laughs> it's like, I know, God, you're calling me to go here, but I'm going to go here. <laughs> and he runs. And if you know the story of Jonah, he ca- God causes this crazy uh, 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 storm as he's on the ship. And, and the sailors finally, they're like, okay, Jonah says, just throw me over. It's because I'm not going where God wants me to go. I'm going this way. So just throw me over and kill me. Because I'd rather die than go to Nineveh. And he throws him up. But God's mercy, he has this fish swallow him up. He's in the belly of this giant fish for like three days. And finally, he's vomited up on the shores of where? Well, wouldn't you know it? Close to Nineveh. Because <laughs> God's got a plan. And finally he's like, all right, fine, I'll go. And he preaches the most simple yet dumbest message I've ever heard in my life. You know, I mean, it's funny because you hear these eloquent things. We listened to Francis Chan last week and it was like, whoa, what an amazing speaker and prophet for God. All Jonah was said was, hey, 40 days and you're all going to die. 40 days. 40 days. And you could tell he probably was like this. 40 days. 40 days. You jerks. You know, I mean, he, he really hated them. And the craziest thing. In spite of Jonah, God does something to the people. And they repent. 120,000 people. The king on down says, we were wrong. We should not have done such injustice. We should not have murdered and raped and killed and done so much. And they repent. And Jonah throws a hissy fit. See, God, I told you. I knew you were a loving God. I knew you were a caring God. Now they're going to repent. It's all your fault. And it says the greatest lines in the whole Bible. I'd rather just die. That's what he says. I'd rather just die. He pouts. You know? And then he goes, he goes up to this hill overlooking Nineveh. Right? He goes up to this hill. And it says he makes this little shelter. 
And he sits down and he waits. And he's watching because he wants judgment to happen. He wants the fire to come down and burn up his enemies. How stupid, right? We don't, we wouldn't, we would never, I would never, I'd never do that. I'd never sit in my little chair of judgment awaiting for Bruce or Caitlyn Jenner to get what he or she's got coming to him. I told you you wouldn't be happy. So stupid. Let me just sit here. Let me sit here and judge. Or maybe you find yourself sitting here in this judgment seat that only really God can fill and and you're hoping to see that judgment at that person at work. Maybe it was a boss or a peer. The fact is, they went out of their way to make you suffer. I mean, they mean to say, they they took pleasure in it. You know what I'm saying? They took pleasure. Whenever you got the the shilling by the boss or something, they were back there going, sucker, you know what I'm saying? And you felt it. And, and right now, they just got fired. And you're sitting there going, I want front row seats to see the pain and suffering. Or maybe it's sitting and, and, and you're just waiting for ISIS to get what's got coming to them. Because let's be honest, our boys are dying. People are dying. Teenagers are getting beheaded. And the truth is, you, it's easier to sit here and say, God... Get rid of them. Let the fire fall. And I'm not talking about your Holy Spirit. Like Sodom and Gomorrah, baby. They need to go straight to the hot place. Maybe it's sitting here and hoping for the destruction of that spouse. Or that person in your life that, man, they they just did a number on you. And let's be honest. It's easier to sit here and wait for them to get pain for pain, wound for wound, blow for blow that they gave to you. Maybe it's that family member or that family friend that when you couldn't defend yourself, took advantage of you in such a way that should never have happened. And it's easy It's easy to sit here and wait for their destruction. And maybe they're getting put in jail right now, or maybe you're here that they just, they got cancer, and you just can't wait for them to feel the pain that you felt, or that you carry because of the abuse, or the neglect, or whatever it is. This is really comfortable. but there's only one person that can sit here. This is hard. This is what I love about the Apostle Paul and what he says. You know, he says something so awesome. He says, Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, God's orge. His literal, I'm having a hard time with this because I don't want to punish. Not because they don't deserve it, but I I know this is 
This is what is needed. And it's it, over as weeping, this wrath of weeping over people that deserve punishment. This God's wrath that's so difficult. And he says, for it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord, not you. Not you. See, the crazy thing is, we all cry for this. In fact, one of the biggest problems we have, I mean, one of the biggest arguments that's leveled, and we didn't actually even talk about this argument, but it's one of the biggest that's leveled against the church and Christianity and just people who, who say, oh, you have a loving God, then why are all this evil going on? Well, what's up with all the evil and this horde? I mean, look at, look at ISIS. How could a loving God allow 14 age boys to get beheaded? How can, how can a loving God allow for a little girl's feet to be removed because of a bomb blast? I mean, that's not a God I want to serve. And yet on another note, when you have God who actually steps up because he's slow to anger, but his wrath is coming and his justice will, as Paul says, he will avenge and he does. When he, when he does it, then those same people step back and go, what's up with God? Why is he so cranky? Why is he doing... You know what I mean? When you really think about it, it's almost a contradiction. We want to have a God that gives justice, but when God gives justice, like who does he think he is? Do you, you get what I'm saying? I mean, I, I've been there. God repay, and then God does something where he repays. I mean, a good example is, you know, the Amalekites and the Canaanites. I mean, we think we've seen bad from ISIS. You should have seen the Amalekites and and the Canaanites. Every firstborn was sacrificed in fire. Alive, burned alive. Rape, murder. It was the Wild West of the 26th power. And God, it says in multiple passages, he's, he, give, he gave hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years for them to repent and sent people in and showed them mercy for hundreds and hundreds of years. But eventually he says, it's, I'm going to repay. How many people sat in shelters saying, God, do something, whether they knew God or not? Do something. See, Paul's really, really quick and appropriate to say, God will avenge. Because he's the only one that really can. If I were to point you to something quickly, I mean, it's simple. God's sentence is always perfect because of his love. See, he's not only the one that can stand and do it or can sit at this this judgment seat. He's not the only one that can do it, but his sentences are perfect. His sentences are totally perfect. Let me ask you something. Is, Is it loving to allow evil and wrongs to go unpunished? Imagine that eventually those, those, the family or the families of those four teenage boys that were beheaded by ISIS. They had the people in ISIS. I mean, ISIS is rounded up. I mean, the people that, from, from, the, from the order that was given to the top down to the people that did it. Imagine they were sitting in a tribunal and all the families were there and the friends of these kids. And, and, and they, the judge says, I find you guilty. We know you've done it. We know that it was you. We've got evidence. I mean, there's no, there's no doubt. But he says, hey, you caught me on a good day. I'm just going to let you go. Is that more evil? To allow such a heinous crime? I mean, how do the families feel? See, the main thing we need to remember is that God is God. And he is the only one who can truly pass the perfect sentence. He is the judge that can truly judge. 
And, and, and the crazy thing is this. Let me remind... Sometimes we need to be reminded of this. Because again, we have, a, we have a problem where we like to put ourselves in the place of God. Each and every one of us is under a death sentence. The Bible calls it sin. And earlier, actually, Paul, the Apostle Paul in Romans 6 talks about, he says, the wages of sin is death. I mean, what we're really earning in life since the time we're born to, I mean, is death. Because we're, we're sinners. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And that's why I just want to say, if you're taking notes again, God sent His Son, Jesus, because He loves us. You see, God has a perfect sentence. And, and wouldn't it be wrong to just say, oh, you get a free pass. And so God, in His infinite mercy, this is scandalous grace. I mean, when we really look at this, it's like, He doesn't just say, because it's easy, I think, to some extent for the judge to go, eh, not my problem, go ahead and go. I don't care. The families want justice. See, the sin, the blood, cries out for justice. And God in His infinite mercy and His scandalous grace puts His own Son on a cross to pay for you. To pay for those people in ISIS. To pay so that we don't have to sit in judgment. Grace that calls us out of our shelter of judgment. Grace that calls us from our shelter that perpetuates the cycle of violence. One of my favorite books and uh, plays and movies, I mean, they made it into everything, is, is Les Miserables. I love it. Jean Valjean, you know, he gets out of prison for 18 years or 19 years for stealing a piece of bread because he's hungry. And the first, I mean, no one's given him a job because he's, he's marked. You're a criminal. You can't get a job. You're a criminal. And so the first place he goes, he goes to this abbot, this, this, this church place where, you know, they've got a golden camel, candelabra and a golden, some golden stuff up there. And, but the abbot is like, you can stay in my house. I'll treat, and he treats him like a son and he says, whatever you want to do. And in the middle of the night, you know, John Valjean, just in, in, in desperation, is like, you know, he gets up and he knows he can't get a job. He's got to live. He's got to eat. And so he takes all the gold stuff from the church and he runs. And the crazy thing is, the law catches up to him, because it always does. <laughs> Brings him back to the abbot, and the abbot says, no, he didn't steal it. I gave it to him. I gave it to him. This is what Jesus does for us. And what's great is the abbot is just like, hey, use this. Go and do likewise. And that's what Jesus does with us. He forgives us and says, now you forgive. Don't judge. Yeah, the world is screwed up. Yeah, and I will avenge. I will repay. But as for you, as for you, you're going to do the grace and live the grace that I give you. I want to talk to those that don't know Jesus right now. Maybe you've never committed your life to Him. God has paid the sentence. He's paid. He stands in the gap in your place. If you don't know that, you've never really experienced that, my prayer is that you do. Because God loves you more than you'll ever know. But what do we do now with this? What do we do? Well, I'm going to give you a litmus test. Do you guys remember science class? Remember, I, for mine was chemistry. I think it was freshman year, and they gave us this little piece of paper called a litmus paper. 
right? And the litmus paper, you took it and you put it into to a liquid or something and it would tell you if the liquid or, or whatever it was that you were testing was either an acid or a base and it would turn different colors and whatnot. I mean, the whole goal was to tell you what it was. Well, I believe that the Bible here, in this, this is why I picked this passage, because Paul gives us the great litmus test to tell us, are you sitting here in judgment, endorsing this cycle of violence that we always attribute to, 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 to people around us and to religion, or are you living as God wants you to live? And so what I would like to, to share is just this litmus, litmus test really quick. So just put this into your life. Take this little piece, this little snippet of scripture, put it into your life, and I want to see how you're doing, okay? First and foremost... Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. If I were to have you think of some of the people in your life that are persecuting you, how do you feel? What's going on? I mean, think of ISIS right now. Those in your mind are enemies. Do you bless them? When you hear the news and you hear the thing, do you say, Lord, I want to bless them. I want to pray for them. I want to bless them in a way that they experience your love. Or is it more like, God, rain the fire down. The neighbor or family member or person at work, are you blessing them or are you just waiting till they get cursed? Yeah, how are you doing? Then he steps it up. He says, here's another part of the litmus test. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Oh, oh, darn it. That means when the guy that you can't stand gets the promotion, are you making him a cake? Are you putting your arm around him and saying, I'm so proud of you? Are you praying for him and saying, I'm praying for you? Are you rejoicing with him? Or let's say he gets fired and instead of sitting here where you get the, you're like, I can't wait to get the front row view. I know it's coming. Pink slips are coming out and that guy's going to get it. I'm sitting right here. In fact, you've been envisioning it in your mind in slow-mo. You know what I'm saying? It's going through your mind and you're like, oh yeah. Or are you going to mourn with him or her? I mean, honestly, you don't have to go far. Look at, look, look at the news. It's so easy to watch it and sit here than to bless those who persecute. Rejoice with those who are rejoicing and mourn with those who are mourning. How you doing? Yeah, me too. <laughs> we need to remember that we are called to step out of the shelter of judgment and love our enemies we got to step out of this shelter. Because this is what he says, right? On the contrary, you're taking the litmus test. What do you do? If your enemy is hungry, you feed him. If he's thirsty, you give him something to drink. Every single one of you can feed. Every single one of you can give drink. I love this. He doesn't say build him a house. <laughs> give him $100,000. Save his soul from fire. No! He says give him some food. you got a, you got a granola bar? Get it in half. Give him a granola bar. I mean, everybody can do this. Everybody. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. The only response to the violence around us is to remember God will judge. He will avenge. Step out of the shelter. Step out of the judgment and love. Amen? With your eyes closed and I just, I want to encourage you. This is what Jesus did. As his enemies, as his enemies hated him, he still gave. He still fed. He still died for them. 
I think the saddest thing is, is everybody's got a criticism. Everybody's got a judgment. But who's actually going out of their way to love? Uh, one of the best understandings of this is, just think about this. With your, there was a guy named Carl Sagan, and while he lived, he was a die-hard atheist. And I knew another guy who was an astrophysicist. And everybody, when Carl Sagan was saying that, ah, God doesn't live, he doesn't exist, and we're all just stardust and matter and blah, 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 this guy was one of the few Christians that instead of just sitting back on his judgment scene, oh, Carl's going to feel the heat later, can't wait till he gets it, he was writing him emails every week and speaking to him in such ways. And Carl Sagan was actually responding to him. And Carl Sagan got to to a point where he's like, you're, you're going to make me a Christian soon. I don't know if I want to talk to you anymore because <laughs> you don't hate me like all those other Christians. Maybe it's an email you got to send. I can't get into your place. I'm not in your life. But brothers and sisters, if Jesus Christ is core and center to who you are, then He's given you the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit's going to guide you where to feed and give water and love. Amen? My hope is that you will do that. My prayer is that you will be the disciples that God is calling you to be because when you love people, when you truly love them, then God is glorified and people say, I want Jesus. That's the best testimony. That's the best witness. I don't know anybody that can take a lump of coal, burning coal in their lap and not get up and do something. Will you step out of the shelter of judgment and give encouragement and give grace? Lord, we thank you. We bless you. We ask right now that you would give us what you, what we need, which you've already promised to each and every one of us, the power of the resurrection. The same power that raised you from the dead is the same power that can give us the testimony we need with the enemies and the people around us. Lord, there's many of us that sit in judgment. And I just pray right now that as my brothers and sisters look at this, they would truly look out and say, okay, how can I give something simple? How can I, how can I feed my enemy? How can I give them something to drink? How can, I, how can I pray for them, bless them, instead of persecuting? Lord, we can't do it on our own. We need you. So in the power of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, send us out to do the same. Love those.